All right, Christ Community Church, if you would be turning your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 11, we'll be in verse 1, and then we'll be in uh, Proverbs 14, 31, and then 19, 17 for our sermon on wise justice this morning. So the key truth that I, that I want us to walk away with is this, is that wise justice considers the poor in our just commerce and business dealings for their protection and provision and in our generosity as a reflection of our honoring the Lord's image in them. Let me read that again. Wise justice considers the poor in our just commerce and business dealings for their protection and provision, and in our generosity as a reflection of our honoring the Lord's image in them. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word this morning, this is Proverbs 11.1. 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord but a just weight is his delight. 1431. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 1917. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we step into this, there's a few things I want us to keep in mind as we're drawing near to the end of our wisdom topic series in the book of Proverbs, is that first and foremost, everything that we are talking about is founded on a fear of the Lord, which means that we, we have to have a transformed heart for any of this to make sense, for any of this to be able to be applied. We've said before, this is not about technique. You're not going to come up with techniques for better listening, techniques to appear humble, techniques to speak. You can do that, and sometimes they do work, but not long-term, and they don't actually get to the heart of the matter. You could come up with techniques for loving the poor, for being just, and again, that's only going to carry you so far. What's the most important is that we recognize a transformed heart is what's necessary to actually get to uh, wisdom, God's wisdom in order to be able to understand it and to apply it. And so once that's true, the, the goal is to have us fashioned into the image of Christ, which is to be righteous, just, and equitable. And so that's been the goal all the way along. That is the, the, the goal of Scripture, in essence. And so we want to be active uh, in, in looking at what things are challenging to that, that we need to mortify, and what things are worth us vivifying. So as we think about wise justice this morning, also remember that each topic has been building, building one after the other. And so this, this makes sense coming out of our discussion of wise work. And that's why the first passage from 11.1 is actually a, a bridge between how we work and our love for the poor and, and, and justice. So as we've been doing throughout this series, we want to first look to Jesus and see what has been his example uh, of, of dealing justly in his treatment of the poor. Well, both the material poor and the spiritually poor, he, he has great concern for. Notice that he is genuinely concerned for the body as well as the soul. And so we, we don't want to, to separate these things or make one greater than the other in the sense that they can be divided. No, they, they both are important together. The resurrection tells us that, the fact that we will be embodied in the new heavens and new earth. 
matters to how we treat things now. And so notice that Jesus went around healing oftentimes the poorest of the poor, those who could find no respite, those who could find uh, no one to, to help them. Again, I'll remind you about the man who was laying just outside the pool of Bethesda, who longed to be put in when the angel would stir the water, who, who, who needed healing, but no one would help him. And Jesus comes up and makes it very clear that the, the water wasn't what was healing. It was actually the Son of God who had come to heal him and didn't need any sort of intermediary. He could do it directly. Uh, notice how he treats others in similar circumstances. Again, the Samaritan woman at the well who was getting water in the middle of the day because of her guilt and shame at a time of day when it would have been the hardest to get. No one was helping her. None of her previous five husbands was concerned with making sure she had what she needed. But the Lord Jesus Christ wanted her to be delivered. And not just so she would be delivered in eternity. That was very much his concern, which is why he says, if you knew who I was, you would ask to drink of the living water, the water that, that, that never ceases to supply what you need. And yet, in transforming her, and in addition, people in the town, do you not think that that would also affect when she could get water? And what a gift that would be to her to not have to slink around under the, the hot sun when nobody else was there, who they were probably resting to avoid those kinds of things. There was a freedom that was both now and not yet. And notice what he does for us. We who were so spiritually impoverished, we were enemies. He doesn't come to us and say, well, first what you need to do is figure out why you're in the mess that you're in. And then once you figure that out, then come talk to me. If you've got a plan for the future of your spiritual life, then please come talk to me and I'll see what I can do. I might save you. It's not what he does. He recognizes how deeply impoverished and broken we are, and he is greatly concerned for both body and soul in this regard, which is why he redeems us in full. And his redemption brings to us the ability to reflect his character and image in the world. And so how we treat the poor is one of the key indicators, and this is true throughout all of Scripture, and we're going to see that. Some of you may be wondering, there's no Cameron didn't quote anybody. Is, is he getting lazy? Is he not reading as much as he used to? No, I very intentionally chose to use Scripture so that you could see how important, how big of a deal this is to the Lord our God, that we, how we treat the poor ultimately evidences whether or not we are redeemed. It is one of the great, great uh, reflections of whether or not we're being transformed into the image of Christ. Now, those of you who might be concerned that I just placed social justice higher than salvation. No, I didn't. Remember what I said. This ain't technique. This is not just concern for this world and the body in this lifetime. This also doesn't make God love us more. What it does do is reflect our salvation. You must be saved first. You must have a transformed heart in order for your love and care for the poor to have any sort of impact now and not yet, which is important to us. We're not just serving the poor and telling them to go and be well. We are serving the poor so that they can come be part of the family and then help us grow in our ability to love the poor. There's something very beautiful about helping someone get to the point where they, in their own dignity, can, can participate in their provision and help others, which is what God has done for us, right? So when he redeemed us, he then invited us into the work. And the same ought to be true for us who care about dignifying those who bear the image of God. So our first uh, quotation is actually from 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Here are these words. 
uh, before we look back at Proverbs as part of what Christ has done for us. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. All right, let's turn back and look at Proverbs 11.1 1, and look at how just commerce is for the protection and provision of the poor. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. Let me pause for just a moment and, and, and point out as the teacher is using some of the strongest language in all of the Bible to express God's disdain for an unjust business or commerce practice. So in those days, uh, they would have used balances and weights to figure out um, what things should cost and, and uh, what things should be sold for and what kind of profit should be reaped. And so what would often happen is people would use a false balance. And so what would happen is when you're trying to measure out, hey, what should this cost based on weight, um, it, the, the scale would be tipped in favor of the person who was trying to gain from the interaction, right? And so the Lord found that to be an abomination, but he didn't find it to be an abomination purely because it was an unjust practice in the sense of, of stealing. No, it was an abomination because of who it affected the most. In every society, those who are often, uh, those who are affected most by unjust business and commerce practices are always the poorest of the poor. And you might be wondering, where do you get that from? Well, we're going to look at it in just a minute, but I'll, I'll point you ahead. Amos 8 actually uses this verse to express God's great disdain, his, that he views it as an abomination, and what the people were doing was using unjust weights and balances to persecute the poor. And the reason, it makes sense, the, the poor oftentimes, when they are dealt with in an unjust fashion uh, with these kind of business practices, do they have the resources to, to fight back? Do they have the power or the voice to be able to speak up and say, this is wrong? See, if they already are on the margins financially, if they already don't have what they need uh, in the first place, how are they going to expend extra to fight these things? This is one of the reasons why the rich often aren't targets of these things, because they actually have the disposable income to be able to push back. They also have the voice and the network and the influences to be able to call those kinds of things out. It's not to say that the rich aren't scammed. They are, but not near as much as the poor are. They are a much easier target on the whole. It's one of the reasons why you recognize in poor areas, crime is higher, right? Because they don't have the resourcing. They, they don't have the voice. They don't have the power to be able to protect themselves. And so from God's perspective, it's critical. This is why this is a link to last week's sermon about how we work. One of the ways that we work wisely is to work justly. And this makes it very clear that when we engage in business practices, we engage in commerce, we need to be concerned about the impact that is being had on the poor. And it's not that we just take a quick glance and wonder and, and say, well, I don't see where it's really bothering anybody. No. No, it actually is, is an area of, of focus and effort, especially if you're a business owner. This should cause you to really think about how you do what you do and where you're getting your stuff from and whom are you serving. You may say, that takes a lot to do. Yeah, we're called to a greater intentionality than the rest of the world. We're called to pay closer attention to how we do what we do, why we do what we do than the rest of the world. 
We just are. One of our problems is we don't set aside enough time to actually do that. And so uh, as, as we think about this, I want to go ahead and look at Amos chapter 8. Uh, and we're actually going to read a little bit more than, than is listed. We're going to start in verse 4. And it's very important that you understand uh, the, the context of this. Uh, the, the northern kingdom had gotten really fat and really happy. They had extra houses. They had extra furniture. Uh, they, they were just... Uh, they were just full of themselves, and they had a false religion going on all over the place. But I want you to pay attention to, to what, what the focus is here and then the result. Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the shaft of the wheat. Now, first and foremost, what's going on here is they are, are trying to... Um, buy low and sell really high and do so in such a way that's completely unjust and affects the poorest of the poor, so much so that the poor would be indebted to them, indentured to them in a way that they could then, not only did they make money off of them in the false practices and selling them the wheat and enslaving them, they then sell them as people, right? It's called slavery. And the Lord actually does, in fact, all throughout the book of Amos. It, for those of you who wonder, did God ever say that slavery is wrong? He says so a number of times in the book of Amos. And in fact, it is the very reason that his judgment comes on the North Kingdom and the surrounding areas. And so anytime we commodify those who bear the image of God, we are in abject opposition to him. And often the place where we do that is in the way we do commerce and the way we do business. And it's not enough to just do business in a way that, that you think your hands are clean. No, the way we do business as a society, the way we do commerce, should help to both protect the poor against these unjust practices uh, and make sure they have the provision they need. It's very interesting that this has kind of been our history, hasn't it? That when we've commodified people, it's never really gone well. It never really has, has done what we had maybe hoped it would do. Uh, in fact, we have a responsibility from the Lord to actually take care of them. And notice, His judgment is coming because they have commodified. But let me read on. He says, The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of your deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account? And everyone mourn who dwells in it, and all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. And on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning, and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun, and the end of it like a bitter day. Let me pause here and just say, he's saying, I'm going to take away all mirth and revelry and joy. Notice what he doesn't take away. He actually doesn't take away any of their material goods. They're still very rich, but it brings them no joy. That's important. Hold that thought. I'm going to pick it up in verse 11 and read through 14. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst, those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Now, what's really important about this passage is how God goes about judging them. Because a lot of times I think that we have this perception that God is allowing us uh, as, as a country to mistreat the poor and is doing nothing. I'm not persuaded that's true. Interestingly, notice that we, as, as Americans, are the most affluent society in all of the world, maybe in all of history. And yet, what is our problem? We are anxious and depressed and fearful, and we run to and fro looking for solutions, medicinally, counseling-wise, religion of some kind, spirituality, nature. Notice that for all that we have, we are the most, and this is not my saying, this is actually both secular and Christian acknowledgement, we are the most anxious and depressed group of people the world has ever known. And yet we have all that we have. Here's what I would posit. that You may say, well, I don't think that's God's judgment. I don't know. Maybe we should ask. Maybe we should prostrate ourselves before the Lord and, and, and cry out and say, Lord, are you judging us? Is there some way in which for all that we have, we are as broken as we have ever been? We, are as, we feel as cut off and meaningless as we have ever known. We feel as depressed and broken as any generation has ever. And yet this has been one of the greatest stretches of prosperity and protection and other things. I would argue that it is the Lord's judgment that the way in which we have treated the poor throughout this country for all that we have, and, and I've heard many of you even say, the Lord has uniquely blessed America. That's true, but to whom much is given, much is required. And what's always required is that how we do business should always protect and provide for the poorest of the poor, the marginalized. And yet we have not done that for the most part. Now, for those of you who say, well, the church is a terrible track record on this, that's yeah, kind of. But let me ask you, um, who has opened the vast majority, if not all of the rescue missions? Who has actually opened many of the things that have served the poor most effectively? Oftentimes you will find, even if it's gone away from its charter, those things were, were, were Christian in origin. And so uh, it's very important that we recognize that, no, there's, always, there's been a remnant in our country. And they do care, and all of those, most of those places actually don't get any government assistance. It's all private donation. So the church, in some manner, has been faithful, for which the Lord has promised He would always leave a remnant. But we shouldn't be satisfied with the remnant. We should recognize the ways in which we have failed, and there's many ways we could list. If you think about the 2007-2008 the crash, what was the foundation of that? predatory lending practices to whom? The rich who survived or the poor? Most of it was poor folks 
who were upside down on, on places they should have never tried. It shouldn't even been in the, it should have never been allowed to happen. Redlining, which is a practice that is well known, that keeps people from being able to move into safer areas, keeps people from being able to actually, when they do have the money, purchase a house in a place where they could raise their family in the, just like you would want to do, in a good school system and otherwise. These are practices we've known and they've been throughout, not to mention all the other ways in which we hold the poor down or ignore them outright, which God does not take lightly. In addition to that, I would say that in America, we've had a bit of a famine in the land in terms of, of, of preaching. Notice who's being blamed for the worst ills in our country at current? Well, it's evangelical Christians, which that's a broad umbrella, and, and it really is almost a useless term as far as we might be concerned, but as far as the world is concerned, it's a great term because you get to lump everybody in together. So one place, we don't want to be unified. And so I would argue that notice the rise of the megachurch and all of the things actually have, have carried us further from the word of the Lord. And we recognize there's a biblical illiteracy. The next generation hardly even knows the Bible. There's, this is an issue. We don't think it's all that big a deal because we still have our stuff. We still have our bread. We still have our water. We still have our homes. And yet, I'm afraid we might be missing some ways in which the Lord is disciplining us as his people for how we've treated the poor. And so if you don't care that we have access to actual true biblical faithful preaching, okay, but, but God cares and the next generation cares because notice who gets affected. It's the next generation. In that day, the lovely virgins and young men shall faint of thirst. Now, our transgressions actually turn into the next generation's dogmas. Alex Motier said that about this passage. And so we need to recognize that what's at stake. We're actually costing the next generation instead of building them up. Think of one of the ways in which they've critiqued us. They've actually critiqued us on this very issue. Do we have wise ears to hear and wise eyes to see? Are we willing to actually truly be biblical? Because this is what we're called to do. And so the question that I have for us Again, is one maybe you haven't considered, but we need to, because there's no way to know if we're actually being biblical if we don't ask. How is the way in which you engage in commerce and do business affect the poor and the marginalized? Have you even thought about it? It's particularly important for you small business owners or those of you in management and how you think about things and look at how things go. You may say, but Cameron, I, I could get in trouble. <laughs> Did you not hear what Amos the prophet had to say to the people who didn't deal with it? There's greater trouble than what any man may be able to do to you when the Lord your God is offended at an abomination. And then is, is God concerned with how you engage in commerce and do business? As we have read here, yes, he is very much. And we need to take that seriously. Let's look at 1431 and 1917 and see further that it's not enough just to do business and make sure that the poor are protected and provided for, there's a step even further that the Lord calls for. Uh, listen at 1431, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Now, it's, that's pretty straightforward. If you, you are going to actively uh, insult the poor, if you're going to talk down to them, if you're going to speak ill of them, you need to hear this. You are insulting the one who created them and whose image they bear. 
So first and foremost, how, how we d discuss the, the poor, how we discuss the marginalized, how we discuss the least of these, that's, that's pretty important. I don't think I need to say much more on that, but, but at minimum, we, we shouldn't be doing that, but th that's not enough. It's not enough to go, okay, well, I'll, just, I'll quit talking bad about them, and, and I'll only buy fair trade stuff. But it goes on. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. And I'll go ahead and read 1917, because both of these are attached. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So we are called not just to make sure that how we do business is just and considerate of the poor. We're, we're not just called to make sure that we don't speak ill, to, to make sure we're not doing anything negative toward the poor. We are called to be generous, which indicates that we are proactive and gracious, just as the Lord was to us in our poverty. Spiritual poverty, which is far greater than earthly poverty, but doesn't discount the necessity for earthly poverty to also be dealt with. And so we are called to look for ways in which we can bless the poor graciously, proactively. We are to look for ways in our communities where we live, work, and play to engage with those who would be considered the least of these. And, and it's not enough for us to just stand back and, and, and say, well, I hope it goes well for them. At least I'm not doing anything negative toward them. No. And the power of the gospel is ambassador's reconciliation. Please hear me. We have been given a responsibility to use all of that eternal good, the access to all the heavenly blessings, the ways in which the Lord provides for us to bless those who are the least of these. Now, let me commend you. You have been generous with our mercy fund. And, and, and it's been a, a huge blessing. We have never had to, had to beg to be able to help somebody. We've, we have been in nothing, in the time that I've been here, we've been in nothing but a good position to be able to be generous and kind to those who are in need. And I, and I want to commend our deacons. They, because we have such a, a large amount of money currently in the Mercy Fund, they are proactively seeking out whom can we bless this with? What, what, who needs? Uh, what, what organization that is serving the least of these, the marginalized, can we bless significantly with, with the money that we have? Because it, it doesn't do any good just sitting in a silo. And so in this way, we, we, we have done well in, in thinking through these things. There's nothing that we've put before you uh, as a need that you haven't met ultimately. So praise God and amen. And many of you have gone and served in different places, whether it's the extension, those of you who have served at the nursing home, a place where people are insanely marginalized and would be considered kind of the least of these, lonely and cut off and disaffected. You've been creative in, in many of the things you've come up with. Don't grow weary in doing this good. Let us grow in our generosity in this regard. Let us grow in our proactivity to seek to be gracious to those who are the least of these, particularly in our community. Again, I get it, we're in the suburbs. We don't exactly have a city center, but we have the poor all around us. You can't drive down 41 and look at any one of those uh, extended stay motels and not recognize that it's probably filled with folks who, who are paycheck to paycheck, barely making it. Um, the extension is filled with people, both men and women, who desperately need another opportunity, who desperately need help in getting back up on their feet and, and being able to display the, the glory of the Lord in great dignity. And so it's important that when we hear the word generosity, that we here be proactive and be gracious, because do remember, who came after us? 
Jesus did. He condescended and chased us down to offer us mercy and grace. Mercy being the forgiveness of our sins and grace in the newness of life that we could actually bear his image. We could keep God's law, not perfectly, but in a way that brings joy for the life of the world. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 25, and it's important that you hear this rightly, because again, he's going to make it clear that the heart was transformed before the ethic was manifested. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, listen, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So critical before we even read what's next is to recognize that they are uh, the elect. Their hearts have been transformed. They are inheriting something that the Lord had already set aside for them. They didn't do anything to earn it, but now they're going to display the ethic that evidences who they are and whose they are. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, here's how we know that they weren't doing any of this to get noticed. They weren't doing any of this to try to get saved or to, to make God love them more. They were doing it purely as the outworking of God's redeemed people. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So what are some of the ways in which you are actively seeking to be generous to the poor, and so honor and be generous to the Lord whose image we all bear. See, we, we must have a wise philosophy of discipleship. We've used the term of philosophy of ministry of the mouth, a philosophy of ministry of hearing, but really the overarching thing that we need to have is a, is a, a wise philosophy of ministry of discipleship. This is a key aspect. You can't get around it. You must wrestle with, yes, you must wrestle with, is it just purely social justice? Or is it just purely a spiritual concern? No, it's neither. It is a call to care for both body and soul, both now and in eternity, because eternity for those who are redeemed starts now. And should the redeemed find themselves in an impoverished situation, that should be something we are concerned with to help build them back up and see them dignified they bear the image of God. This isn't just about helping and leaving in that condition so that you can just keep going back over and over again. This is a call to transformation and freedom, a welcoming in, a hospitality in generosity. And then how has Christ been generous to you in all of your poverty? And how might we look more like him and how we are generous to those who are the least of these.
So Proverbs 11.1 and 14.31 and 1917 teaches us that wise justice considers the poor in our just commerce and business dealings for their protection and provision and in our generosity as a reflection of our honoring the Lord's image in them. Again, Christ Community Church, I, I, I ask you to, to join us. Let, let's be a church that genuinely cares about what God cares about. Let's be a church that genuinely wants to grow in wisdom, which means we care that the Bible be faithfully preached, prayed, sung, read, and most importantly, lived out. Let's join together and, and, and grow in this area, but recognizing that it's about the transformation of the heart that, that actually causes us to live in this way. For you to do it begrudgingly, for you to do it because you're looking for a, an earthly reward or pat on the back or some sort of uh, personal uh, exaltation. It's not what this is about. This is about loving those who bear the image of God, recognizing that the least of these is the place we ought to start and be most concerned with seeing transformed. In addition, to, uh, there's a lot to kind of balance here because the next generation is watching us. And again, remember Amos's warning that the judgment of God, he didn't, oftentimes doesn't come in and take away. He oftentimes lets you get sick of all that you have, lets you become bored with all that you thought would give you meaning, and robs us of joy and mirth in the things that actually were gifts from his hand. That is judgment. And to not have his word be transformative and and. and, and changing us into the image of Christ, a famine of that kind should be of greater concern to us, which means we would care about unity and faithfulness and being biblical. Let's do that for the life of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your gracious pursuit of us when we were so deeply impoverished, impoverished in both body and soul. Thank you, Lord, that you take care of your people, both body and soul. Thank you, Lord, that you have invited us into the work, this wonderful redemption story, which is so beautifully displayed uh, when, when we care for the poor. There's something unique and beautiful about it. And so would you help us, Lord, wrestle with this biblically and consider what is a very complex subject, but one that we've made so complex that we've just ignored. We can't do that, Lord. May your Holy Spirit keep pricking our consciences and hearts for the least of these. May your Holy Spirit keep showing us where Scripture calls for us to display our savedness in how we treat the least of these, where that's the, the most clear display of our redeemedness. God, help us to be a church who loves what you love and goes after it in the way you have come after us. In Christ's name, amen.